0: welcome to the city hills church sermon podcast we hope that the message today helped you encounter god love people and discover purpose for more information about who we are as a church head over to cityhillschurchsd.com if you would like to partner with us financially click the give button at the top of the home page on our website and now let's jump right into the message
1: Welcome to week two of the new rules of love, sex, and dating. Last week was a lot of fun. If you weren't here, it's all right. You can catch up like Lauren said on the podcast, but it was it was a lot of fun. And we talked about this shift in our mindset about the right person. And we talked about this myth that's on the screen. The right person myth is that one day I will find the right person and they will make everything all right right you don't have to raise your hand and and say that you you did this but we all had this feeling that one day I'll find this right person and they're gonna make everything all right and it's not that there isn't a right person in our life because we definitely those of us who are married hopefully you feel like you found the right person like if not that's a completely different discussion we can have that Uh, at a later time but we found the right person but the issue is that a lot of times we think that that right person all of a sudden is going to solve all of our internal issues and we're just like hey well you're here so now it's all better nah not necessarily and so we realize that there's some things that we need to work on ourselves and so I left you with a couple of challenging questions for those of us who are married we ask the question are you becoming the spouse the spouse you married hoped you were going to be? Are we becoming the spouse that your spouse hoped you would be on the wedding day? For those of you who are single, are you becoming the person the person you were looking for is looking for? And I told you last week, we, there's a, a story that's actually in the, in the book that we're pulling this from, that, uh, it's it's really, really interesting. And it's this story about a girl named Denise. And this is a real life girl. This isn't like some made up story. This is a real life girl who she grew up in a Christian home. And, you know, her family had lots of values. And then one day she went off to college and, you know, grew up, had her own life and her own deal. And she was living in downtown Atlanta and just taking part of all of the fun that was downtown Atlanta, similar to to San Diego, and it just became this thing where you know she she believed in God, she believed in in Jesus and all of that, but when it came to her dating life, she was like, "Ah, he doesn't have to be a part of that right and so she went through her life and and connected with guys who were in her life, and they're out of her life in and out and in and out of her bed in and out of everything in life, and it just was normal and there was guilt there there was some shame there because she's like I feel like I probably shouldn't be doing this like this I I know better but everybody else is doing it so uh, what does it really matter and so she just she dealt with it until one day she went to a party and she saw him she saw a guy named Mitch and Mitch was fine and he smelled good, and he was just as awesome as could be, and they started talking, and they started having conversations, and and he he had a a real-life job, and he had aspirations in life, and he he was like a real Christian. Like, he was at this party, but he was, like, different. And she just fell hard, right? She was like, oh, my goodness, this is the one. I found the one. He is the one. And so she was, you know, they weren't dating yet, but she was like fantasizing of what it would be like with old Mitch. And she she went back home and she was visiting with her mom and she was just telling her all about life. And and then she started talking about Mitch. Mom, mom, you got to, I can't wait for you to meet Mitch. She's not even dating this dude at this point, but she's like, you're going to meet him. I know it. He's amazing. He takes my breath away. He's a real Christian. He believes in Jesus. It's awesome. He's got the whole package. And her mom looks at her with compassion in her heart, but honesty. And she says, sweetheart, the problem is a guy like that isn't looking for a girl like you. And she said in that moment, she crumbled. She fell to the floor and she just wept for hours because she knew that her mama was right, that a guy like that wasn't looking for a girl like her with the habits that she had and the lifestyle that she lived with and the the issues that she was still dealing with and all of the things happening in her own life While she may have found Mr. Right, she wasn't Mrs. Right yet. And so a guy like sweet, fine Mitchell probably wasn't going to be interested in her with all of her issues. And, And while that sounds so harsh from a mom, the truth in her message is one that we have to come to grips with ourselves. Are we becoming the right person? are we becoming the right person? Are we becoming the right spouse? Are we becoming the best version of ourselves that we could be? Are we just settling for life how it is and just doing things the way that everybody else around us is doing? Well, well, so-and-so, they have this issue and so that's just normal and so-and-so, they do this, and this is how they date, and this is, this is how everybody dates. Nobody does all this craziness that you talk about in church. Like, no one does—okay, well, sign up for life the same way that everyone else does. Or we can make the choice that maybe God has something different inside of us. So we have to take inventory of the people who are speaking into our lives. Who are the relationships for those of us who are married— who are the relationships that you surround yourself with? What do they talk about? They talk about, sure, we have issues in our marriage. Sure, everybody has problems, but do they they show respect and honor to each other and, and excitement about the relationship and and they feed positive energy into your marriage? Or do you, when you hang out with them, you come home and you're like, "Bruh, you are bad. I don't like you either." Like, right? What are they speaking into? your life. For those of you who are dating, just, man, look at, look at the people around you. Are your friends having tons of successes? Are they having these powerful, awesome connections with people? Or are they just having fun on a weekend and they wake up Monday morning lonely? Like, we have to ask ourselves, who are those people that are influencing us? Because the truth is this, you'll see this in your notes, the weakest link in the relationships determines the health of the whole You've heard that about a chain. The weakest link is ultimately the the issue that's there. In our relationships, the weakest link, and we don't want to consider it, no, that must be the other one. That must be somebody else because I'm not the weakest. No, like legitimately, in your relationships, the weakest link, the one that is not fighting to become the best version of themselves, it leads to so many struggles for us. Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say on this topic. Thankfully, when we go to the word and we read in the New Testament and we ask the question, okay, God, how do I become the right person? How do I become the right person? How, how do I change myself? How do I work on myself? How do I, I become a better version of who you created me to be? When we do that, the Bible just lights up with answers. There's all kinds of answers for us to find. But if we're honest, the issue for many of us is that we approach the Bible with a completely different set of questions. We approach the Bible and we ask questions of how do I change my spouse? How do I change my spouse? How do I fix them and their issues? Or how do, I, how do I find the right person? How, I'm looking for the right person. The Bible must tell me how I find that person. Like, is it, is it in Leviticus, that book that I always skip? Like, where is the answer to finding the right person? And the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about that because the Bible should be used as a mirror, not a weapon. The Bible is a reflection for us. It's God speaking to us. When we read the Bible, we should be looking at it as it's a mirror. God, how am I lining up with what you wrote in this word? And again, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times, for those of us who are Jesus followers, if we're not careful, we'll try to use the Bible as a weapon. Well, see, this is what's wrong with you. It says this in Romans. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a mirror, not a weapon. It's a weapon against the spiritual enemy. It's not a weapon against each other. And against, especially in our relationship with our spouse, that, that Bible intake should be, how can I become the person you've created me to be? So let's see what What Jesus says about love, because he always has this way of just flipping things on its head, and and we think about love in one way, and then all of a sudden he he just blows our minds with a a different understanding. In John 15, starting in verse 9, he says this, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, You will live in my love just as I have kept my father's commands, for I continually live nourished and powered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. This is important. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. Now, this is, this is not speaking specifically about your marital relationship. This is saying, this is how Jesus views love. Love is willing to be obedient. Love is willing to sacrifice. In Matthew 5, verse 43, it says, your ancestors have been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. It makes sense. However, I say to you, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, and do something wonderful for the ones who hate you. Like, what, Jesus? Are you serious? Could you imagine sitting there in the audience when he's saying that? Like, what? Did you just say, do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by doing what? Praying for them. Jesus, what are you talking about? he's talking about love and and relationships and enemies and all of this stuff. But if we take that concept of love and what he's saying, and we apply it to our relationships, Jesus is saying, you know what? Obedience and commitment reinforces our love. The depth of our love is also measured by our willingness to sacrifice. The depth of our love is how willing we are to sacrifice for one another. And then perseverance reveals the character of our love. The reality is in in our lives, if every bad thing caused us to go, I'm out, peace out, this has been fun, you're a jerk, I'm out. That's not love, is it? That's definitely not the measure of love that Jesus expresses to us. I love this, if we break it all down, It sounds a little bit like this. Jesus didn't command us to feel something, but to do something. Your feelings will lie to you. You will feel like quitting. You will feel like accidentally backhanding somebody in the head. You will feel a lot of things, but he commands us to do something, to be obedient, to sacrifice, to persevere, to push through, to love, to trust, Jesus gives us this picture of love as a verb. Love as a verb means to do something in spite of how you feel. to do something in spite of how you feel. Well, we just we just fell out of love. No, you didn't fall out of love. Somebody decided not to lean into it anymore. You made a choice. You made a choice. Our actions should drive our feelings, not the other way. Around Because love isn't a feeling in the moment, it's a choice in the middle of the storm. It's making a choice that I'm not going to quit on you because my love is strong. In the time that we we have left, I want to unpack one of the most popular sections of Scripture when it talks about love. And it's in a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And it's, if you've been to any wedding, I'm sure at some point you've heard this passage of scripture and it's in 1 Corinthians 13. If you want to turn in your Bibles or in your uh, Bible app, 1 Corinthians 13, it's known as the love chapter. And as you're doing that, let me answer the question that we've been waiting a week to find out. So how do I become the right person? How do I become the right person? And I believe... It starts with a relationship with Jesus, and it culminates in us becoming more like him. Well, that's just a churchy answer. Well, that's fine, but let's look at what becoming like Jesus and loving like him looks like. Look what the the author Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. You've heard this before. You could probably quote it because you've been to so many weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And we hear that with the guy that's leading the wedding, and we're like, that's so sweet. And then we get in love. And it ain't all sweet. Right. But let's unpack what these means. Love is patient. Look at this in your notes. Patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure him or her to match yours. Patience is the decision to move at someone else's pace. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who who just pushes you further than you want to go? You ever been, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you, you have you been in that relationship before that someone is pressuring you in a direction and you're like, I'm just not ready to go there. And it just causes this tension and this frustration. And in the end, it's devastating, right? It pushes you to a place where trust is broken. Connection just begins to dissipate because that patience has run out. And for me, I made a decision at a at a really early age that I wasn't going to have sex before I got married. You can call it weird, whatever you want. I made that decision. And there was something that that was really important to me. And even in those seasons where I didn't feel like I was close to God or I was going through a, a season of my life where where I was trying to do my own thing, it was a value that I held on to because it was something to me that I felt like was going to be a present to give to my wife, that I didn't have that with, with anyone else. And when I stood at the altar with Lauren, and it doesn't mean I didn't have my mistakes and my issues, but I stood at the altar with Lauren and I knew that I can look her in the eye and say, this is, this is a gift that I'm giving you that no one else in my life has ever had. And the beauty was she actually made that same decision. So it was awesome. And here's the secret. Don't get offended, but we good at it. Right. The lie that you have to like you got to figure it all out before you get married. Let me tell you, boo boo, that's a lie. I'm going to move on. But do not believe like that has to be the situation. But I also remember dating a girl at one point and she was just she was pressuring and she was like, we're going to do this. And I'm like, no, we're not. And she just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and it got to a point where we just broke up. And she's like, why? I'm like, because you're annoying me. I said, no, no means no. It's over. Like, stop. And so I remember the feeling in that moment of feeling pressured to go further than I want. And it's not just in sex. It's whatever it is in your relationship that we're losing that patience with our spouse. We're asking them to go faster than they're ready to go. And we're not willing to slow our own pace down. Love is patience. Patient and it chooses to move at someone else's pace. Before I move on to the next one, I just want to I just want to tell the ladies in the room who are dating. If a guy looks at you and says, If you love me, you will do this. Quietly pack up your bags, tell him peace out and see you later. And come let me know and I'll come beat his tail down for you. That's not love. Love is not being pressured to give up on your principles. Love is not being pressured to move past what you believe God wants to do in your life. Let me move on. Love is kind. Kindness means to leverage one's strength on behalf of another. I love that. Kindness means to leverage one's strength on behalf of another. In other words, to do for others what they can't do for themselves to do for others what they can't do for themselves. Love chooses to help those who are weak rather than take advantage of it. That's important. That's what kindness is. Kindness is when maybe you're in that season of things going well for you and your your spouse or the person that you're dating is not. You're not leveraging that to get your way. Kindness is lending that helping hand that you get back onto the same page. And what that means, for those of us who may be in a stronger place in a certain season, it means that we have to humble ourselves to the point to help. We have to humble ourselves to the point that we're willing to help rather than to judge or complain or go to our friends and go, she is just useless. It means that we humble ourselves and we show kindness to someone that needs our help he continues, love is not jealous, it does not boast, it is not proud. And Paul ties these three together because it's actually this expression of insecurity. And I think every one of us in the room has, have dealt with insecurity at some point, some of us more than others. But it's important for us to recognize these areas, jealousy and boasting and being proud. And for many people in relationships, jealousy is one of those things that you, you battle with a lot. And, and I would say for the person in, in the relationship that deals with jealousy, the important thing for you to recognize is that there's something going on inside of you. Not necessarily inside of them. And I'm going to get to them in a second. But for us. Any of us who deals with jealousy and our minds wander and there's so many things and it it impacts our relationships on an everyday basis because jealousy is there. It's an insecurity inside of us that the only way to remedy that is Jesus. It's us understanding our identity in him and being confident and comfortable with who he created us to be because when we allow him to speak into us and when we allow him to be the one who defines who we are, we can go to whoever it is in the relationship and go, I'm a, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I, I believe this is what he's created me to be and I'm working to be better, but like, I'm good. I, I know I'm worth love. And so I'm just going to trust that you're going to love me. And so we what happens so many times when we're dealing with jealousy is we want our spouse or we want that girlfriend or boyfriend to just keep feeding us with words of affirmation, feeding us with our love language, whatever that might be, or or just reassuring us that nothing else is happening. And we think that that's just going to help. That's just taking care of the symptoms. It's not getting to the root of what's happening inside of you. We've got to deal with us before we ask them to change all of their stuff. Now, on the other shoe, for those of us who maybe are in a relationship with someone who is jealous, it's important for us to choose things wisely, right? There is a responsibility, the kindness that we just talked about, that we have to be willing to do some things to help show that we we honor them. It doesn't mean it's going to solve the problem, but here's the reality. If Lauren was super jealous and I walked around flirting with girls and then texting them late at night, that's not a her problem. That's a me problem. I'm doing like, th- th- it's it's a real simple thing. Use wisdom and simply don't be dumb. Just don't be dumb. I, I have a friend of mine who I, I can't get into all of the details, but he'll sit there at his house and he's, texting back and forth and (laughs) oh that's so funny and his wife's like who are you texting oh it's just Samantha bro what is wrong with you like don't don't be dumb don't be dumb you're just feeding things inside of that person that just it doesn't make any sense he continues when we think of boasting or, or pride we have to ask how easily we're able to celebrate the goodness of each other Think about that. Maybe maybe you don't deal with this in your relationships. But ask yourself, how comfortable are you celebrating your spouse? How comfortable are you publicly giving them affirmation for how awesome they are? Not all of you deal with that, but there are people in this room. Who there's things that have happened in their relationships. There's hurts that are deep within them. That the idea of in front of a group of people going, man, they are so awesome. I love doing life with them. That would be such a foreign concept because of the things that are going on inside. And Paul would encourage us to check our hearts for pride. The pain holds us back from being willing to give that love and that affection and celebrate the incredible things that are happening in their lives. So instead, what we do, and I, I've done this before, just honestly, we use sarcasm as the means to self improvement. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he is awesome at work. I don't know if I've ever seen him do anything like that at home. First of all, dang, that's rough. Like, why? Why would you say that out? I've seen it happen. We've heard it happen. We have friends like that. We we know people that it's impossible for them to say the kind words out loud about their spouse. And Paul would go, "I'm just being." Paul probably wouldn't apologize because he was kind of brutal. He'd be like, "Hey, that's a you problem. You've got to fix you. There's something inside of you that you have to be willing to bring out. Love honors." Love honors. This is a word that we don't hear very often in this culture. Look at this. Honor defers the spotlight. Honor yields to the needs of others, and honor gives more than it takes. Honor gives more than it takes. We have to ask ourselves, how well do we honor our relationships? How well do we honor our spouse or our significant other? Well, it's hard to honor. I'm not good at, at honoring. Like, I don't even really know what that means. I'm not good at that. Have you ever had, like, a precious item, like maybe an heirloom or or something that was passed down or a, a check from the government that was a big amount of money, or maybe a child? Have you ever had that? Have you ever, like, seen a brand-new parent with their child, and they're like, oh, y- okay, you yeah, you can hold him. What? What's the head? Oh, what's the head? Ooh, okay, uh-huh, okay, what? three, four. Okay, give me the baby back. Give me the baby back. We know how to honor the things that we feel like are important to us. Or or have you ever been with a parent and you're at somebody's house and the the house doesn't have kids in it and it's not baby-proofed? You ever watch that parent behind? No, Audrey, stop. Audrey, no, no, don't touch that. Audrey, stop. Brooklyn, no, you come over here. Don't come here, right here. Don't touch that we know how to honor. We're honoring their house. We're honoring that something's about to get blown up if Audrey doesn't have somebody yelling at her. Like It's about to happen. You better just hold on. So whenever we go over to friend's house that don't have kids, I'm like, buckle up, buttercup. It's about to go down. Audrey's here, and she's going to test the limits of your house. In other words, when we honor something, we protect it. When we honor something, we protect it. How willing are we to protect our relationships? Do you fight to protect your connection with your spouse and your relationships? Do you fight for your intimacy? Do you fight for your relationship with one another? Do you you protect it against all odds? Or do you just treat it like, well, it's going to be here, so huh? It'll be all right. Its old hat. Is that old pair of shoes I put on every day? No big deal. Do we honor our relationships? Paul continues, "Love is not self-seeking. Love puts the interest of others ahead of their own needs. Jesus made this so clear: Love is the willingness to sacrifice. Love is the willingness to put our needs to the side so that we can raise up and meet the needs of those in our relationships. We talked about that a little bit last week. This is an important one here. Love is not easily angered. Love doesn't get stirred up or wound up or set off, and it controls its fuse. This is super challenging. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, he says, And don't sin by letting anger what control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. The reality is that we all get frustrated. We all get angry. We all get hurt. We all have these moments, but it's our response that we have to control, not theirs. It doesn't mean what they did wasn't wrong, but we have a responsibility through our love to control ourselves because the issue is that with anger, so many times it leads to blame. It doesn't lead to evaluation of ourselves. It doesn't lead us to deal with the issues within us. It just leads to blame. And blame ensures that you will live your life at the mercy of anyone with a stir stick. Right? Blame leads to you giving control to whoever has a little stir stick to just stir you up. And they just watch you. There, There are people in your life that their whole job is just to stir you up and drive you crazy, and then watch you explode. They enjoy, they get off on watching you go crazy on somebody, but we have to understand where where are they stirring it? They're stirring it within us. It's not on them. We give them control when we go, here's the stir stick, stir up what's inside of me, and let's see what happens. We have to recognize that it's something inside of us that we have to deal with. The last one, love keeps no record of wrong. Love chooses to forgive or at least not bring it up while we forgive. Because let's be honest, there's some things that happen in our lives. We we heard uh, an incredible story at the marriage workshop. There are things in our lives that it's not like, okay, cool, I forgive you, no big deal. There are legitimate things in your relationships that you will have to work through and deal with. And the idea that it's just going to be poof, all gone, that's not reality. But love chooses to not bring it up and bring it up and bring it up and bring it up. We all know the record keepers. You get in an argument with them and they're like, okay, hold on pull out their Rolodex. Do you remember last week when you did, and then two weeks ago, and then four weeks ago, and then on June 32nd, 1947, you did. We all know that person. We all know that. The the problem is record keepers, they're usually right. The record keeper is normally right because their whole mindset is to collect the data of what you've done wrong but if you're a record keeper understand this rehashing the past doesn't solve the present tension nor does it lead to a healthy future congratulations you've got a great memory but you're hurting your present and you're desto- destroying your future when you and i do that in our relationships pulling the record out of what all has been done wrong we hurt the health of our relationship finally Paul says this love never gives up it never loses faith it is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance and as we get ready to pray I think one of the most important things that we have to understand from that last verse is that love chooses to see and believe the best is yet to come Love chooses to see the best, even with right, even when in the present moment, it's not the best. We choose to see it. We cho- choose to look to the future and say, okay, we're not there yet. But I'm going to trust in our love that we're going to take a step today a little bit closer to a better future. I'm going to trust today that I'm... You're going to work on your patience, and and, and I'm going to work on my anger, and and we're going to just take a step closer, one step closer. Because what the enemy wants to do in your relationships is he just wants you to quit. And you and I, we're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at letting our emotions rise up in a moment and going, you know what, I'm out. I'm done. I'm through. I got nothing left to give you, so I'm out. But if our example is Jesus, could you imagine if he did that to us? I don't know about you. You guys are perfect. But in my life, how many times Jesus could look at me last week, the week before that, probably today, and go, oh, you, you, you gonna mess up again? All right, I'm out, I'm done. How many times could Jesus do that to us? But what instead, when he's, he's on the cross, he's hanging there, dying, and what words does he speak? Lord, forgive them. They are clueless on what they're doing. That's love, that's love. And while we love that passage of Scripture in weddings, it's a challenging passage for us. And I would encourage you to take it and if you're in a relationship, especially those of us who are married, put it in front of you. Put it on the door before you walk out. Put it over your bed. Love is patient. Okay, okay, Jesus. You gotta help me be patient. I'm gonna hurt him today. Help me. Love is kind. It does not boast. It's not full of pride. It forgives. It believes the best, even in the middle of the storm. Let's pray. Jesus, these words are so unbelievably challenging, but I thank you so much that you inspired Paul to write these words to unpack what love truly is, It's something we do. It's not something we feel. So Lord, I pray for every person right now who's dating in this room. That you would allow them to connect with you in a way that they would understand the depth of love in a way that so few people truly understand before they get into relationships. God, I pray that you would just stir up in them a passion to understand who they are in you and stir up a passion inside of them to understand how they can love like you love us. And Lord, I pray for every relationship in this room, every relationship that is represented. I pray that you would help us to find which of these that we need to grow in to ensure our relationship. Is healthy moving forward. Jesus, help us let it pop off the page when we read it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know I need to work on that one. Blind our eyes from even thinking about what our spouse needs to change and let us focus on us and focus on you. And Lord, I believe that as we do that, we'll see such a significant change in our relationships, because we will become the right person. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this challenge. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.